afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome, Archaeology Explorers, to the slightly delayed All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. This is number 76. This would be where we have something impressive, but we don't. So instead, Steve Litchfield joins us. Hello, Steve. Bonjour. I did prefer it when we did the uh, the draft run of this podcast in French, but uh, maybe we should spare the listeners that. Do you really think the listeners need to put up with my French accent and my Eurovision in jokes? That would be too much. That would put them over the top. Hello, it everyone. would put them over the top. Speaking of people that I can quite easily put over the top, Monsieur Blanford, Monsieur Blanford. Uh, uh, by the way, you're putting me over the top. I could worry about that, but yeah, thank you very much, Euron. Uh, welcome everybody back to the All About Windows Ten podcast. I do apologise; we've been absent a little while. A few things have interfered with our, our regular schedule of weekly podcasts. I think it's been almost three weeks since our last one, and probably will be by the time many people listen to this. But there's been rather a lot going on in the Nokia world, in the Windows Phone world. Uh, so we've got plenty to talk about, and quite a few uh, short news stories to get through. And I, I'm sure that. Uh, each of Euron uh, and Steve are going to go into their specialist topics, sort of Xbox gaming and some camera stuff. So those are both on the uh, schedule. But without further ado, probably hand back to Ewan. Indeed, yes. So let's start with that. Uh, Rafe, um, in the grand tradition of Mastermind, name? Rafe. Occupation? Uh, well, that depends. Yep. Chosen specialist subjects trying to avoid saying anything libelous about Nokia or Stephen Elop while we discuss the Nokia and Steve Elop situation. You have 24 minutes. Uh, we have two minutes on the clock. So your first question, what's going on? Well, I think it's going to be quite easy for me to avoid saying something libelous compared to what everybody else has been saying. There's a, <laughs> a lot going on. Uh, firstly, I guess we should start by just saying there oh, has sorry, been... Sorry. To be fair, everybody else is never expecting to say, this is a wonderful situation for Nokia and it's the best decision they could possibly make looking forward to the future, yes? Well, I imagine everyone is expecting me to say that and kind of it does come down to that when you, you add the important context or the caveat rather that it's in the current context. But maybe we'll come back to that. This first started to reappear. I mean, inevitably, this has been a, a topic of discussion for the ever since... Microsoft and Nokia announced that Microsoft was going to acquire Nokia's device and service business, and it hasn't gone through yet. It's still a proposed transaction. It's got to be approved by shareholders. It's got to be approved by regulatory bodies as well. But part of the approval for shareholders uh, means that Nokia has to hold an extraordinary general meeting and sort of get it voted through by the shareholders. And ahead of that, they've actually released some more details. This is sort of a you know, proxy information document, which basically talks about some of the things that went on behind the scenes in order to make this decision and some of the terms of the actual transaction. I think the one that's caused most comment that you're probably alluding to in that introduction there is uh, around the compensation for executives and particularly Stephen Elop, who uh, stands to benefit somewhere to the the tune of 18.8 million euros or $25 million and it was kind of compounded by Nokia saying, oh, that's standard. You know, that was what our previous CEOs had in their contract. Because people were annoyed enough that, you know, Stephen Edop effectively seemed to be have been incentivized to sell off the company or, as some people might put it, drive it into the ground. I mean, clearly that's a, a rather oversimplistic way of looking at it. But it turned out that actually the old CEO contracts didn't have these particular terms in it. So Nokia sort of had a bit of a PR battle, particularly in Finland, where a lot of the uh, newspapers, Helsinki Summit, for example, have had articles about how uh, Elop has said that he can't 
uh, cut back his compensation because he's getting divorced from his wife and needs all the, the money and there's legal things going on. I don't think there's very much point in dwelling on that. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. I've got to put the tin hat on for at least four of our okay, listeners. Okay, go on. Okay, firstly, I love the fact that you referred to all of this in the past tense, Rafe. Uh, this is still ongoing. It is. That, that's um, absolutely so right. So let's just say that Nokia have had some trouble. Nokia right moment have angered the Finnish press. And the only time you ever see an angry Finn is when somebody steals Kimi Räikkönen's ice cream on the Malaysian Grand Prix grid. And it is not a pretty sight. Um, they've had a really easy ride for the last three or four years from housing Matt and everybody else. So let, this is currently going on. And as you say, they still have to have a vote. And with all this bad blood that keeps being built up, that may not be a 100% cast iron guarantee, although institutions will probably vote it through. Secondly, I know it's rather simplistic to say over the price now, but when your contract says that you will get a, if you sell the company, the devices and service section, then you'll be given compensation from whatever the lowest share price was at any point in your career at the company and how much you bounce up from that. Not from how much the share price was when you signed up to be the chairman. No, from how low it could go, the delta would represent your bonus. That's That deserves further investigation by the authorities, I believe, is how you would like me to phrase it. Well, as I say, there's definitely more than one way of looking at it. And, you know, there's no question that some people have been really angered by this. And I think it's probably fair to say the Finnish media has generally given Nokia a pretty easy ride. And it's a pretty horrendous mistake uh, to make, you know, when you're talking about this kind of thing, when it's clearly going to be an emotive subject to get the terms of the contract and things like that wrong. With all that said, these kind of term and conditions with earn out clauses and it also applies you know um if he was fired by nokia or if he left the company or got the share price to a certain point there's you know a, a lot of clauses it's not just a simple you know, couple of terms in there that say oh you've got to sell the company all of that was really a reflection of the trouble that nokia was in when Stephen Elop arrived, and you have to incentivize people to perform. Now, clearly, with hindsight, people may go, oh, that wasn't the right way to do it. Um, the culpability here, if you do want to blame someone, is the board, because they're the ones that you know agreed and signed this contract. And by the same token, they actually agreed to a modification of this contract when this uh, deal with Microsoft was announced. So, you know, it, 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 there is perhaps a case to be made that an investigation should be looked at at the board. I really don't think it would come to anything, though, because as I say, these kind of uh, clauses are are not unusual. Um, perhaps they have been unusual in Nokia history, but uh, it, it it comes back to this, how serious was the trouble that Nokia was in when uh, Stephen Elop arrived. And so you know, people going, but why would you incentivize him to sell the company? Well, you wouldn't necessarily incentivize him to do just that as say there were incentives to get the share price up which is what would happen if the company had performed well and the windows phone strategy had worked fully as intended i nokia staying an independent company but at the same time there's a, a certain amount to be said for the fact that um the sale of uh, nokia to microsoft is actually a good outcome because nokia was almost unsellable before in terms of keeping the current business going and not having lots of job losses you know, Nokia, we've talked about this before, is valuable in patents and for other kinds of assets, but would it have been able to be sold as a going concern with the kind of the Symbian and the Mego strategy in place if that hadn't worked? That's a lot more doubtful. It's what we've talked about in a previous podcast about um, you know, the upside of the uh, Nokia-Microsoft deal was you know, Windows Phone working very risky, uh, but the downside, which was ultimately 
Microsoft buying Nokia's device and services business was arguably less risky than any other option. So it's not just a simple matter of saying, you know, this is horrendous. Why on earth have they done this? You know, the board of directors has made a decision, uh, which I think a lot of people quite rightly feel was overly generous or, you know, perhaps didn't think things through fully. Uh, but it's a pretty big claim to say that they were you know, doing it deliberately or looking to do a Nokia. Uh, were they, were they naive? Uh, as I said, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in this kind of financial analysis, but you're seeing a lot of very emotive uh, press coverage, which, you know, to me feels a bit like the same conspiracy theory stuff we got with Elop and the Trojan horse stuff. Now, a lot of people out there do seem to you know, have a belief in that, but I've indicated before I, I hold no truck with that. It's just not how uh, you know, big companies are run. And I think much the same applies here. So it's a bit of a, a mountain uh, out of molehill. But having said that, Nokia does have a bit of a PR disaster, it seems, on its hand. And that does seem to be magnified to a bit of bungling on some of the comments that have gone on about this sort of compensation package. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can leave comments back at allaboutwindowsphone.com. What I would love to see is your most outlandish theory possible on what is happening here. And I will personally find a nice goodie to give away to the person that tags comedy conspiracy in the hashtag in the comments. <laughs> the one that makes us laugh the most, we will read out on air in the next podcast. And I will personally dig out a prize of indeterminate value. Um, so I look forward to that one. And I also think it's fair to point out when we talk about Symbian Migo strategy, if we look right now at what is happening to BlackBerry, formerly Research in Motion, formerly quite a good company. Um, they have their own operating system. They have their own plan. They're kind of piggybacking on Android as well. And they, they're selling for less than Nokia Services Division. Um, the fact that they're going private is is actually now up in the air. It doesn't look like it's going to happen because there's various guarantees and there's no um, penalty clause uh, that's actually in this letter of intent. You know, BlackBerry kind of had the same deal as deal of hand as Nokia had, but playing it off in Canada, but couldn't make the independent strategy work. Much as the hardware is really nice on, on things like the Q10 and the Q30, which I actually have just now for, for other websites are available, it just didn't bite. Did it, Rafe? Yeah, I mean, BlackBerry, I think, it, it's inaccurate just to compare one company with another, but it does well, we're provide... we're going to do it anyway for a tutorial <laughs> effect, aren't we? We are. It does provide a... A good illustration of how a company, you know, BlackBerry, don't forget, was in second place behind Symbian, you know, selling a lot of handsets, and its decline has been even faster in many ways. Um, uh, I think some people have maybe signposted it a bit earlier on. There was always a bit of doubt. But BlackBerry expanded into that consumer space, into low-cost devices, doing something very similar to what uh, Nokia did with Symbian, and actually had the strength of its service division, which I think is still a valuable asset, and actually that's probably ultimately the bit of BlackBerry that will survive for some time to come. But it's it's hard to see a way back for it now, and certainly not to have the survival of those BlackBerry devices. And, you know, you translate that to Nokia, it, it, you know, being broken up just for its constituent parts in terms of things like patents, and even for BlackBerry that's complicated because they don't have anything like the IP portfolio that Nokia does, uh, and, you know, it's not like the factories as well. So, you know, as you say, if you look at the value um, BlackBerry's much less than Nokia, given that there's actually a still a very significant component of Nokia that isn't being sold uh, to Microsoft, and uh, you know that's going to continue on. I I think also just before we move on to a, 
a different different topic here. It's just worth pointing out, as Ewan's uh, said, there is you know, still this to be voted through by shareholders. I don't think there's really any question that's going to happen. There's certainly going to be some small shareholders who are going to kick up a fuss and say they don't like the idea of it. But from a, a financial point of view, in terms of returning value to shareholders, uh, the institutional shareholders, you know, the big blocks will just vote it through. And that will happen at this uh, November meeting. But it's just interesting to note that there are some clauses about you know what happens if this uh, succeeds or fails. Uh, Nokia will actually have to pay Microsoft some money if their shareholders vote against it. Uh, it's relatively small amounts in the terms of uh, big business. Uh, I think it's around 40 million euros. And then it's uh, around 75 million euros in total if they then sell to someone else. But uh, Microsoft is obviously pretty confident that it's not going to back out because um, it's agreed to pay Nokia a, a payment fee of um, $750 million if it terminates the kind of the option to buy Nokia. It, it does lead to an interesting question of how do you manage uh, Nokia in the short term? So should it be being managed for Nokia shareholders on the basis that the deal you know, might not go through and therefore you might be looking to do something different to if you're you know, going to be selling to Microsoft, in which point you'll probably be looking to cut margins on device and service and maybe follow a bit of Microsoft direction. And I think there's actually two competing uh, you know, aims there, uh, but I think it's probably going to be operated on the assumption that the, the transaction will go through. be interesting to see what happens after that, but I haven't seen much commentary of, on that in the press, and uh, maybe that's something we'll, we'll see coming up next. Yeah, people have asked for my opinion on this whole saga, and I just wanted to take a kind of high-level view and say that all things change. Race famously been quoted as having a six-year rule for the platforms uh, rising, prospering, and dying. All things die eventually. All things evolve. I mean, I've been through Cyan and Symbian, and we had Palm and Windows Mobile, and now we've got Windows Phone coming up as the newest of the current OSs, and uh, I guess that gives it a longer lifespan. All companies make mistakes. I've got the old Scion box, Steve. Hey, in <laughs> I you wonder go. what's going on up there in Scotland. <laughs> All companies make mistakes. We've done numerous editorials on things Nokia have done wrong. I'm sure we could write the book on what things that BlackBerry have done wrong. And yes, Apple and Google, things they've done wrong in the past and, and mistakes they've made. And as things have turned out quite well for Apple and Samsung and Google, but uh, the, the, the comeuppance comes to every company at some point, as Rachel <laughs> will probably agree. And that at some point, um, platforms like iOS and Android will be considered stagnant and dying, which is uh, rather shocking. And, and just for people, before Rafe butts in, um, just to correct uh, you, and it was the Z30, not the Q30, for all those listeners who are <laughs> Googling the BlackBerry Q30. Right <laughs> well, maybe you know something that we don't. But yes, you, you're right. So, I mean, I think the inevitability of decline isn't absolute by, by any means, but I think it's true to say, particularly in the nature of... Uh, computing platforms mobile or otherwise they don't do go through you know periods of success or failure i mean there is an argument to me made that ios and android have a established kind of a new monopoly and nothing will change and it's not uh, it's a credible argument but i think the assumption as i've said many times that things will stay the same is is probably not right the expected thing is for things to change and you know we've seen with ios 7 a big visual change um and actually you know, a fair bit of change in the way things work there and Android's gone through a, a similar set of changes arguably and made those transitions more smoothly, but they've yet to have to undertake a really big uh, change in terms of either the architecture or, you know, the compatibility backwards with applications. And I think that may still happen uh, at some point in the not too distant future. And uh, for Apple, it's about, you know, can it survive 
when smartphones are everywhere and it's not really competing in the lower cost segments uh, for Google, it's you know what happens as people start to fork their platform. We've seen it with Amazon. Samsung might do the same thing. And will they care about that? Possibly not. And will it just become you know Android as kind of that Davlek runtime layer will be effectively what Android becomes, and it may run on top of various different operating systems. Um, all sorts of changes there. And I think you do have to sort of step back a little bit and take that view that uh, you know, it's not about you know survival of individual companies or products or platforms it's the way mobile evolves as a whole and so uh, steve you you've been through this transition as you say with uh, several platforms that you've seen come and go uh, ultimately you know all of those who resulted in improvements for the consumers a better device or you know something that makes your life easier to use and perhaps as consumers that's what we should look forward to most uh, absolutely all of this all of these changes they all end up ultimately is being a win for the consumer because the best products generally do win out. And, and I guess my only sad point is the fact that, that there are human beings, there are employees of the different companies who get caught out in this. So whether it's Nokia employees who were made redundant and now hopefully have been being financed by Microsoft, so it's actually good for a lot of the Nokia employees, they've still got jobs across the world. And sadness, of course, for that huge number, is it about four, four and a half thousand BlackBerry employees who are being made redundant at the moment. So uh, the thing things change. You feel sorry for the people involved. Ultimately, I'm, I guess, on all about WindowsPhone.com. We're more about the what the software can do, what applications can do, and what hardware there is for the consumer to play with. And all of those, ultimately, end up being wins. Yeah, and I think in, in one sense, for Windows Phone, there's going to be little immediate change from you know this uh, acquisition of Nokia's device and services. I think longer term, you can talk about a lot of changes, and will Microsoft be able to successfully absorb Nokia device and services? Um, but it, it's equally possible to say it could have been a total meltdown and lots of people losing their jobs and the Nokia name, as it will be, disappearing. But so going rather more terminally, you know, with this acquisition, it, in many ways, that device and services business is going to live on with, you know, for as far as consumers are concerned, it's actually going to be the brand change, which will be the biggest difference. Um, it remains to be seen how much the ethos and some of the culture change. And I know for a lot of people, that's what's important about their Nokia devices, you know, the design, kind of everything that underlies that almost that intangible sense of loyalty to a, a particular brand. Uh, and that rem remains an interesting debate. But at the same time, you, you turn it back and go, well, it's going to be many of the same people working on it. They may have access to more resources. The merger of Nokia and Microsoft has an awful lot of potential. That doesn't mean that, like everybody else out there, I don't think there's a, a tear in our eye as we see the Nokia brand disappear from the top of a smartphone and don't remember you know, the good old days. But uh, nostalgia, well, it's always going to be there, but perhaps it's not quite what it used to be. Oh, nice nostalgia <laughs> point going in there. Um, so you've two choices. We can either see all the staff um, having fun and moving over to Redmond or for everybody else, moving back to the old HQ building in Finland uh, into the little sailboat. Uh, <laughs> run that through Google Translate, folks. Right, Rafe, um, I understand that uh, FIFA, uh, who are organising the World Cup, have had to move the World Cup to 2016 to make space for Nokia World this year. <laughs> Uh, that's right. This that's is trying to be relevant and topical. That's what we want in the podcast. Uh, that, now, that's, yeah? that, that's right. Yes. yes. Uh, indeed, this is a, an event that Nokia teased a little while and just confirmed this week that on October the 22nd in Abu Dhabi, Nokia World will be taking place. Actually, this is just a, another big Nokia device announcement event. Nokia World, it tends to be branded that when there's more than one device being launched or it's kind of a bigger than usual event. 
it's going to take place over a, a single day. In the past Nokia Wells have been a, a couple of days and they've also been about partner events for Nokia. You know, they're inviting operators and developers. It looks like this one is going to be more just a, a big uh, press event to announce some new devices. And there's been a lot of rumours and leaks over what what they'll be. But it, it's interesting. I mean, this is probably likely to be one of the, certainly the last large-scale Nokia event. It's possible it may get to MWC before we... Uh, see the microsoft thing you know go forward or indeed may still be rejected so doubt that will happen but it's certainly going to be the last uh nokia world before things you know go through this this transition in either direction um so i'm sure there'll be a few people shedding a, a, a tear because of that but it's kind of interesting because it's the first time that i can remember for certainly five or ten years nokia holding a major global event in the middle east as well which kind of i think reflects uh, nokia's outlook as a, a global company uh, i guess we could talk a little bit about some of the rumors and devices we expect to see you indeed yeah uh let's start with the the rt tablet actually because i i know it's not windows phone it's windows um because we, we, nokia have dabbled once before with the windows powered laptop with the um Life, booklet. Like booklet thing uh and and that went well uh and now <laughs> we, we, we find that they've been working on a windows rt tablet allegedly uh, allegedly allegedly um i with hindsight in a tin of all hat i can see the synergy but given that you have the surface tablet coming out uh the surface 2 rt has been announced and uh, nokia services and divisions would cover an rt tablet i'm right rafe uh yes it would then you have um I'll, I'll be interested to see if we actually see this uh to be perfectly honest given that um <laughs> microsoft probably don't want a surface tablet and a nokia tablet splitting the 16 people who want to buy uh windows rt tablet well, that's a little unkind i think it's at least 32 it's a little unkind i can be more unkind if you like <laughs> uh, yeah as i said this one has just been rumored and it's kind of a, a nokia tablet in the kind of same fabular design language or the same polycarbonate casing as we've seen many of the Lumia phone comes in. And there's been a couple of leaked photos and it's codenamed Sirius. Uh, as to whether it will be launched, it, it's a good question. I suspect it's gone far enough along in development and the negotiations with operators are such that it will get launched. What, like uh, the N950? No, I think it'll probably get <laughs> a, a, a little more than that. And... You know, people sort of go, oh, but what about Microsoft? Well, Nokia is still an independent company and has to operate as such for the time being. And and frankly, I think one of the reasons that Microsoft bought Nokia was for innovation in the, the, the hardware space. And so having them look at doing tablets is probably not a bad thing as far as Microsoft is concerned. Yes, down the road, you might see some product consolidation. And it is particularly interesting. I mean, this week, as you say, Microsoft did announce the Surface 2, and I think it's an example of where Microsoft has actually done a very good design on the hardware front, but there is, uh, you know, space for more than one kind of design there. It's, I think Windows RT, rightly or wrongly, has faced an awful lot of criticism and hasn't really enjoyed a lot of success, but it's actually pretty important to Microsoft's future in terms of how it works with Windows Phone, because the thinking is that Windows RT and Windows Phone will come closer and closer together. There's even some talk that in the next version of um, windows rt not the 8.1 that's coming in october but you know an update maybe sometime next year it will be able to run windows phone apps and you can imagine docking windows phone apps to the side of your windows pc or tablet things start to get quite interesting the synergies there and then of course you know the windows phone starting to be able to run 
Windows RT apps less relevant now, but you start to think about office applications and everything there. And that, that future, that trend that we're seeing of desktop operating systems and mobile operating systems coming close together is already happening elsewhere. You know, Apple have been doing something similar in a way with iOS and OS X and arguably Google Chrome and Android are in that same, same area. I think Microsoft plans are probably a little more advanced than either Apple or uh, Google's, but that idea of a single computing platform or some single operating system platform is certainly an interesting one. That that's getting a bit off off the the subject there. But yes, we'll have to wait and see. Going to be interesting to you know watch that one come out. I think a lot will depend on pricing and which operators choose to take it up. You know, it would only take a couple of big operators saying yes, we want to range this tablet and give it a bit of a go. I I think. Windows RT is still pretty weak as a product. That's a lot around the kind of app experience and inevitably it gets compared uh, to the iPad and you, you just can't match the app and service ecosystem on the iPad. And it's the you know, same problem that Android tablets have. But of course, if you then consider it more of a, a business and an enterprise play, that maybe does get a little bit more interesting. And Windows Phone, I think, is particularly in the light of what's happening to BlackBerry, has got a lot of potential, a lot of potential strength in the enterprise Android is sorting out its security issues there, but that's still a, a far from finished story. And of course, you know, on the Apple side of things, there's the cost element, which still applies to both iPads and iPhones. And so that's something to look at. As I say, I would put the emphasis more on the enterprise space and the consumer space, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens. It'll be very interesting to see that announcement come out. But uh, perhaps we should talk about Windows Phone, uh, Ewan, and that sort of products. Well, I think we should give Steve a go now because okay, uh, go on then. I've got a rumor lined up here, but it's not the Windows Phone rumor. So we, go um, on then, Steve. Um, tag, you're in. Go for it, Charlie Crabtree. Well, one of the devices rumored to be launched at this um, event in Abu Dhabi is not the gold Lumia 1020, <laughs> which is the natural follow-up, the gold iPhone 5s, and the gold Samsung Galaxy S4. <laughs> despite we're not having gold, we're going to have hungry like the wolf. <laughs> Um, one of the devices rumoured to be launched is the Lumia 1520, which it looks pretty much a shoo-in at this point. Basically, following the, the current trend, we've seen them, the so-called phablets, things like the Galaxy Notes, uh, the Samsung Mega. Um, the largest Windows phone up to date, I think, has been at 4.8 inches, and the 1520 looks like being well over 5 inches. And certainly... It, well focused in in terms of consuming media and web browsing and so forth. I still think that um, I've been quoted on this many, many times. There is a sweet spot for smartphones and it's to do with the dimensions of the human hand. And the moment you can't wrap your hand around the device such that your middle finger and your thumb can meet, that's the point where you stop carrying it confidently and it becomes a hindrance rather than a convenience. And uh, I suspect this device won't do as well as devices like the 925, the 920, I think the 1520 at that sort of form factor, regardless of the pros and cons of the operating system, I just think it would be something of a niche device. Yes, Samsung sold a truckload of Galaxy uh, Note 2. But that has more to do with the subsidizing of the device in the, in the native country and in, in Asia. Um, certainly their Note 3 doesn't look like it's going to sell anywhere near as well without the same subsidies. So they're, the, the, these larger devices, they are somewhat of a niche. Yes, it's a big niche. Um, the 1520 looks an interesting device. I suspect, like the Galaxy Mega, it will be more... Uh, geared towards, for example, consuming YouTube videos, assuming you can find a YouTube client, <laughs> and consuming uh, other streaming media. Um, maybe Rafe, maybe Nokia can announce a fully working native YouTube client in Abu Dhabi as well as the device. <laughs> yeah, I guess Microsoft and Google are still working on that one. 
Uh, you're right about the 1520. I think this is more about ensuring that Nokia has a, a complete range of form factors. You know, they've done the lower cost devices, they've done the camera centric one. One with a big screen is quite clearly a necessary entry to have. But I would agree with you that the 4.5 to 5 inch feels like a more natural size for your kind of standard phone. But there's no denying how well these you know big screen devices have done. And you know the Lumia 625, which they've already announced, is kind of a a result of that as well the interesting thing i think about the note two some of the success of that in certainly in the asian markets has come from the being able to use a stylus with it there's a certain amount of uh, you know character input but also drawing notes that's not something that windows phone really does at the moment so i wonder whether gdr3 which is going to be required for that 1520 it's going to be a higher resolution screen probably 1080p whether there'll be more on there because actually i think that's one of the things that doesn't always get talked about about the with regard to the note i mean people just see it as a, a big screen device but actually it does have a little more to it than that it, it and also there's this element of you know does it come into the seven inch tablet space i think that's a maybe a different question um but i think it's it's more than just expanding screen you'll need some software to go through that from doing some drawing on uh, and potentially else and i'm not sure how well the windows phone uh, user interface works with that i mean i'd maybe say the same about android but it's it's going to be interesting to actually see how this device gets positioned and whether Nokia chooses to call it a phablet and how they price it. It, it looks like it's going to have quite a premium on it at the moment. Personally, I, I'm like Steve, I probably wouldn't use a device like this. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge that it is very popular. It, it's interesting you mentioned the sub model there. Uh, Steve, in Korea, you know, it looks like the Note 3, which is kind of the latest version of this big Samsung tablet, hasn't done quite as well because naturally these bigger screen devices do tend to be a little bit more expensive, do tend to be at the premium market. You see that in the US pricing as well. Um, so again, we'll have to go and wait and see what happens with this one. Just one thing I wanted to ask you about though, Steve, the reports are, and again, this is all alleged, it's all unconfirmed, that this uh, 1520 is going to have a, a 20 megapixel pure view camera on the back, uh, suggesting it's still going to have this kind of uh, reframing stroke zoom ability. Do you think that will be of any utility despite kind of halving the megapixel count on the camera? Uh, absolutely. I, in fact, before the 1020 was physically available, I was playing with Nokia Pro Camera because, of course, on the Lumia 920, of course, it was released a few weeks before, so I had plenty of chance to play with the interface and play with the reframing, even on an 8-megapixel sensor. And yes, I know you don't gain any extra detail because you're simply zooming in on the existing 8-megapixel image, but it's surprisingly intuitive and surprisingly enjoyable, and you really enjoy creating new photos out of what you thought was an original photograph. And it works so well on the 1020. I mean, yes, I've written some editorials, being a bit picky in places, but let, let, let's face it, it's still a stunning device and a stunning camera and a stunning application. And uh, absolutely, I think you'll get definite utility out of a 20 megapixel sensor. And yes, it's not quite as good as the 1020, but considering it's probably quite a bit thinner, then I suspect it won't have quite so much of a bump and uh, an awful lot of people are going to enjoy using it. Uh, it's an interesting point of differentiation. Staying with the, the camera theme, there's also talk that we'll see... Uh, pro camera and smart camera be merged together i think nokia sort of hinted that that's going to happen there's been a a tweet this week from one of the uh, nokia people in q8 saying yes it's going to happen i think you know, I, I spoke to some of the nokia imaging people and they wouldn't say anything definitive about it but it's pretty obvious as a, a way to go do you think uh, steve that that makes sense getting everything into a, a single application provided of course there's some logical and sensible way to swap between the kind of the two modes 
Uh, absolutely. I, I think I said on one of these podcasts about a month ago that I couldn't understand why they didn't simply implement a long press on that shutter icon on the screen in order to do a, take a burst mode and then interpret that as a smart camera burst. They could do it all within the one UI without any physical change to the UI whatsoever. And I suspect that's probably what can, what's going to happen. It doesn't really make sense to have to keep um, taking a photograph. And, oh, I wish that had been a burst. I wish I could you know, capture the, the photographs either side of that one magic moment or to take a burst and think, oh, darn it, I've got, I've got a burst of photos, but they're all a bit rubbishy. I wish I'd used the Nokia Pro camera and I'd have reframability and higher quality. And it's that either or, either or flip-flopping between the two applications doesn't make sense. And they just need to find an intuitive way to implement it. And yes, I'm all over that. So, Rafe, I'm trying to work out how combative I should be. Go on, go, go ahead and be combative. I can always edit it out afterwards. That's true. Okay. Uh, so, that's all our predictions there. <laughs> Everyone's really worried now. What did he say? What was that? Maybe we should know. Mountain View. This is the most wild rumour I can find, uh, which I'm not entering in our comic competition. The idea that Nokia quietly have asked Foxconn to build 10,000 Snapdragon 200 dual-core Arduino 302 devices running Android just in case. Well, I, yes, I read this rumour as well. <laughs> and the only bit of it that wasn't true, I thought, was probably the number of devices in consideration here. Um, it's kind of fairly obvious to anyone who knows how the mobile industry works that somewhere in Nokia's labs you know, right back when they made the decision to go to Windows Phone there was a Nokia device running Android um, I don't think you could quite extend that to every other platform so people thinking oh there's a Nokia device running uh, Yola somewhere no I don't think so but I think that kind of you know testbed would have been maintained and this is probably where you know some of these rumors have come from I think it's you know quite a accurate and given that you know they were facing this uh, strategic decision point and knew it as early as February this year they had quietly put people on a project to you know do a Android device uh, the Snapdragon 200 doesn't feel quite right to me but if they were looking to do a really low cost Android device you know maybe that is the case um this all kind of comes back to the, the Microsoft contract. And one of the interesting bits of information that came out recently was that uh, against most people's expectations, the Microsoft Nokia agreement didn't forego um, Nokia producing devices on another platform. What would have happened if they decided to do that is they wouldn't have got the platform support payments from Microsoft. And that's resulted in a, a transfer of a certain amount of money from uh, Microsoft to Nokia. That was meant to go back in kind of licensing costs of the OS. It's not quite clear what the balance is at this point in time, but undoubtedly those platform payment fees kind of helped subsidize Nokia going onto Windows Phone and then sort of remaining financially sustainable during that period. So they supported the platform. So, it, it, yes, exactly. And it was kind of, that was what the locking for the platform was rather than a definitive clause in any, any contract. So obviously Nokia would have been working on these Android. Uh, device and i wouldn't be surprised if there's more than one of them because of course if things fall through or it did decide to you know go onto other platforms it would need to be in a position to move and it takes anything up to you know two years to develop a phone now i think it could be a bit quicker in the case of shifting to android but they'd want to start getting expertise in that area as soon as possible um, things like not, um, here maps here navigation on the cinemagraph lenses and everything yeah i mean well. it, it's difficult to know how far i've gone i mean i would have thought this is just a preliminary project but yeah i have no doubt that it, it will have happened um this report about ten thousand devices 
I would imagine it'd be near a couple of thousand for you know, prototyping and for testing reasons, but it's, it's difficult to know how far they'll have gone down that road. And honestly, I don't have enough insight into the way things work internally within Nokia on timescales to, to, to see what that would be. But if you look back at uh, something like Mego, there was the uh, 925 uh, uh, device, no, the, sorry, the 950, which yep. was a uh, kind Previously of... Previously mentioned in this podcast. Uh, a QWERTY, yep. QWERTY version of the N9 and that was producing quite significant numbers as a kind of developer test bed. I don't know what the absolute numbers on that would be, but I would imagine that would be maybe in the region of 10,000. So, you know, there's kind of prior prior form for this kind of thing. Um, so I don't really think it changes anything, so people shouldn't get too excited about it. Um, but yeah, of course they were working on an Android device. They'd be fools not to, and probably have been for a, you know, a very long time. But there's a big difference between taking it in that's something that's in the labs for testing and making plans. If the Microsoft thing doesn't work out, you know, it's only sensible. I mean, if they didn't, people would be criticizing the, um, board of directors for having blinders on. I guess they're kind of doing that anyway, but, uh, it'd be even <laughs> yeah. worse. Can't win to the left, can't win to the right. But uh, if you out there actually have one of the Nokia Mountain View Android devices, if you'd like to take a picture of it and email it to us, we promise not to tell anybody where your IP address is at allaboutwindowsphone or allaboutsymbian.com. I have a prize of indeterminate value here for the picture that makes us laugh the most. And uh, we'll blindly put that up in the comments for you. Um, And bonus points, of course, if you can take a picture of it next to Ascendo X2. We should probably just uh, before we move on from talking about rumors, there are a couple more things maybe coming out at Nokia. Yeah, but some... those are boring things, and everybody knows about them. Yeah, well, okay, everyone knows about them, but for those that don't know about them, there's some more accessories coming. One of which I think you referred to earlier in the podcast, the kind of treasure tagger, a Bluetooth smart or Bluetooth low power um, proximity tag, which allows you to keep track of your bag or something like that. Details on the website. There's quite possibly also going to be another Lumia device. Given that there's been some leaks around things called the Nokia Lumia 929, which is headed to Verizon and a few other things in that area, if you go and look at the FCC documentation, again, I'll link to these in the show notes. There's just this suggestion that there may be a device that would replace the Nokia 920, 925 in that kind of 4.5 inch screen size, you know, so a complement to the 1520. Because one thing we didn't mention talking about the 1520, it's going to be based on a new hardware family, or that's the way it looks at the moment, based on the kind of uh, Snapdragon 800 processor. So that will be Windows Phone uh, going towards a quad core architecture and you know, probably more RAM as well as faster processor and all the other bits that go on a system on a chip, all the smartness that goes into a phone. There's also some kind of juicy bits in there. There'll be Wi-Fi AC, for example, and potential uh, to support um, external monitors and all sorts of other bits and pieces. It's not clear which bit Windows Phone uh, will get. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But that um, new hardware family means that it would make sense for Nokia to kind of move its mainstream uh, device at the high end onto that hardware family as well. Whether that'll happen at Nokia World or a bit later, I, I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see, say, two Lumia devices being announced and possibly a couple of other variants, either for specific markets, you know, referring to the 929 there, there's been talk of uh, dual SIM devices as well. That will happen at the lower end of the market, maybe on something like the 620 or the 720. But we can expect to see quite a bit of news coming out in um, just under a month's time, which will be at that Nokia World event in Abu Dhabi. And we'll we'll keep you updated, of course, when it happens and of any more rumours in the intervening time period. 
Indeed, yes. Uh, right then, so our uh, very quick return podcast um, is rapidly, rapidly reaching Wraith-like proportions, um, <laughs> which means we really need to go on a diet to get down the bulk of these podcasts, Wraith. Yeah, I think maybe we'll skip some of the things on our to-do list for this podcast and we'll uh, do another catch-up next week because there's been a few features on the site that I'd like to talk about in detail. Indeed, there we go. Uh, of course, you did miss the fact that I'd mentioned exercise uh, and Windows Phone and linking in a hopeful attempt that you'd pick up the fact that I'm trying to steer you towards the Adidas Me Coach application, which I do think is worth pointing out just now. It is. This is another one of Nokia's co-partnerships where they've got together with Adidas and effectively ported onto Windows Phone an existing application. In this case, it's My Coach. Um, I think people would unkindly refer to it as the Adidas version of Nike Plus, which seems to be a bit higher profile. Uh, but there's a lot of these activity tracker applications out there, you know, Runtastic or uh, Sports Tracker uh, and a whole load of others, many of which are actually now on Windows Phone, especially with the background GPS support you got in Windows Phone 8. But this feels like a, a really quite a polished version and there's a, a lot going for it. Now, it does the basic kind of activity tracking as you expect using your phone's GPS and accelerometer sensors uh, to get information in. And it does that, you know, very well. But a couple of, uh, just having used it just for a couple of days now, uh, the things that kind of stood out for me, the voice coach was well done. And that's the bit that tells you information as you're running. So, you know, it tells you how far you've gone, but it will also prompt you to do certain types of exercise if you've got it set up in a training program. So it'll say run with nine out of 10 effort for two minutes or whatever it happens to be. And they've actually used kind of f famous sporting stars to kind of do those voices. So you can have Jess Grenis or Andy Murray or Johnny Wilkinson and other famous stars Rafe, from other countries. Do you know who they are? Johnny Wilkinson is a rugby player who won the World Cup. Andy Murray is the Scotsman who lost Wimbledon. And then the Englishman who won Wimbledon. And Jess Grenis is a heptathlete who won gold in the Olympics last year. Excellent. You can field the comments on that one. Excellent. Uh, but the thing that actually caught my attention most was the, the training program. This is done through going to the uh, My Coach website, and you can then set it up you know, to any range of ability. It will then sync back to your phone and will tell you what exercise to take on what day and how to do it. And that's where the voices come in. So it will speak to you. It's all a bit spooky, I suppose. Uh, but it's an attempt to kind of get around this problem that when people set out to you know, get fit or do a specific training program, they kind of slack off and they don't do it. And Nokia shared some stats that say 80% of people who set out to get fit sort of drop out from doing regular exercise. And this is a way to kind of motivate yourself to do it and also tell you what exercise you should be taking when. And it's a particularly slick implementation. But the bit that caught my attention most of all was actually a technical aside, which isn't entirely relevant to the application, but it's actually the first application that I'm aware of that actually uh, supports a Bluetooth smart, that's Bluetooth uh, low power accessory. In this case, it's a heart rate monitor, and that's used obviously to measure the heartbeats as you're exercising as a way of measuring how intense your workout is. And it uses that to you know, tune what it's telling you to do. Because the idea is that you exercise at different levels of intensity in order to build up your fitness over time and normally these sports tracking applications do it by measuring your pace i.e how far you're going over a, a certain amount of time but the heart rate is obviously a little more effective because it can measure that and say right you're 
your your heartbeat is going too fast you're going to drop dead from a heart attack if you keep this up or you're being lazy you're not going fast enough you know make your heartbeat faster uh, we're going to be trying this out in hopefully the next few days and we'll report back on the site but this is going to be the first of many many bluetooth smart accessories already available on some of the other platforms you know for things like fitbit for example a lot of them are about based around this uh, kind of sports tracking in one way or another uh, but we're also going to see nokia produce some of these accessories we mentioned the treasure tag just briefly coming up at nokia well probably i imagine there'll be a few more as well uh, but a sign of things to come ewan indeed yes um all looking very promising and uh having somebody shout at you to do more work mm, yeah where was that said steve <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry comedy callback anyway what's caught your eye um since the last podcast um absolutely software wise not really kind of an app of the week uh, kind of a pick of the week but just generally what's been getting you in the third party app scene well, I just wanted to mention something I downloaded only one hour ago. Ooh. I saw a mention it on the net. And, and sometimes you see an application which completely and utterly gets it, which completely and utterly uh, op- is optimized for the particular platform. And just you think, this is so sweet. This is just absolutely perfect. I cannot think of anything wrong with it. Is it the community's uh, dominate blog web app? <laughs> <laughs> It's Rightmoves. Close. No, it's, this is an estate agent's application. Rightmove is one of the biggest independent online uh, uh, house buying and house renting uh, systems in the UK. And they've just released an application for Windows Phone. And normally when this sort of um, organization releases an application, it's basically a, a hacked version of their mobile website. And it's fairly unspectacular. This is astonishing. You've got, you've got um, obviously all the glossy photographs and floor plans and 3D renderings of the various properties on the database. You can save searches. You can filter by everything imaginable. There are glorious transitions and everything works. Swipe on the panorama style, not with the metro style. Swipe, swipe, swipe up and down, left and right. So in summary, I think I can feel an extended uh, flow or even a review coming on. Really, really impressive. And I just, I just love it when something absolutely nails it. And it doesn't happen every time, probably one time in 20. But when it does, you think, yes, this is just perfect. Excellent. I just want to uh, point out the, uh, the fun times that we've all been having with the Xbox uh, throughout all of September, actually. Uh, we've had that nice, steady release schedule, one a week that I like to see. Okay, they're not getting the same day and the same hour every time to make it an appointment check for a download, but we've had what we've had, you know, friends, we've had Six Guns, we've had The Sims Freeplays, we've had Angry Birds, Star Wars, we've had Tetris Blitz come out, five titles over five weeks or so. Um, and it's just really nice to see. Uh, and we said before that the, when these sort of game releases get into the shrine, they create appointments. They create a, there will be a good game this week. There was a point in the lifespan of the NHQD, donations <laughs> as well, where they were doing this one a week solid release schedule. And it just really, really helps the platform. Irrespective of the fact that the Six Guns is so loaded to the premium guilds that it's it's ridiculous. Um, the fact that the Sims Freeplay has been out two, three years before already on iOS and Android, let's just put them to the side for the moment. They are concerns, but get the basics of a solid release schedule coming out and you're fine. And these are not make-weight titles like Ice Age Village or iBomber Defense. No offense to the developers behind them, but these are titles that people will look at and will, will pay careful attention um, I'm also disappointed that uh, we're, we're now hearing that EA will not be developing a Madden um, NFL title uh, for Windows Phone. Boo! Uh, but um, congratulations on at least having something with Xbox. And it'd be great to see if there's another 12 apps ready to go, if we can maintain that weekly schedule all the way out till Christmas. 
It's been interesting with these recent Xbox releases, though, that they've had some big names, and I think it's Tetris Blitz is the latest one of the Nokia exclusive variety, but Angry Birds Star Wars was the... Actually, no, Tetris Blitz is um, everybody. It's everybody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, my apologies, Tetris Blitz. Um, but the thing that caught my eye about uh, Angry Birds Star Wars was it's the first time we've seen the Angry Birds game come out at the same time as for every other Angry platform. Angry Birds Star Wars 2. 2, yes. Thank you for that yes. correction. Uh, unfortunately, I actually thought this was kind of one of the weaker in the Angry Birds franchise. I mean, I th- anyone who's played Angry Birds, I think there's a sense of inevitability about this. There's only so far you can take a, a certain concept. But would you say, you and it's really about the big names as much as anything else, uh, when people are looking through the apps or going, oh, yes, that's available. Um, and, it, uh, you know, the problem Windows Phone now has is it needs to persuade everyone else to do that simultaneous release, which if you look at the you know relative install-based numbers, isn't going to happen. I mean, a developer, quite frankly, quite rightly put Android and iOS first. But it's also the issue that Windows Phone is less likely to get the really good indie releases that suddenly turn into be a, a hit title. And you know, just as happened with the original Angry Birds or something like Candy Crush, you know, some companies are good at creating titles that go big, but we're still seeing occasionally, you know, an indie gamer company come out with a title that suddenly then goes very big. And the chance of that happening on Windows Phone just isn't as high as it is on Android and iOS because of the release numbers. Indeed. I think the answer, the answer to your question is if they're using sort of cross-platform cross stuff like Unity, for example, then no. it does make it easier. But it's still not a turnkey. Unity will still output the code that needs to go into Visual Studio, and then you know yeah. there will still be the point where you need to play around. Just the same as you, you need to play around with the Xcode when you're doing it for, for iOS applications and you know, whatever Steam-driven text, text line compilers used for Android nowadays. Uh, <laughs> it's changing. Uh, and it's starting to go. But, yeah, I think Windows Phone will have a problem of either being slightly behind or it will need to have some sort of financial inducement. And, of course, that can't happen forever. I think the other issue is it, there's still not a, a positive way of showing people where the money is. I mean, even though you look at the, the relative uh, market share of Android and iOS, you find that most of the money is still made on a 5 to 1 ratio on Apple's devices, not on Android devices. Developers will follow the money. What Microsoft needs to do is to show that Windows Phone, irrespective of what the market share number is, makes more money than Android. Now, it's at that point that you will start to get indies looking at a summer release. But until you can get to that point and convince people you are at that point, which is probably the harder task, you will not get uh, a majority of titles going on similar release. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, I, I use the kind of the install base numbers. You're quite right there. You, and you actually need to do that. Um, you know, the install base numbers. Show me the money. Time. Show me the money. Show me <laughs> the money. Show me the Time, times, the, times the average revenue uh, per device. And I think actually uh, what's interesting from the Android and iOS point of view is actually because there are more Android devices out there now, that gap between iOS and Android is narrowing, even if the average revenue, you know, the, that, that metric has got better recently for Android, um, but it's by no means uh, close to iOS yet. Uh, and we're going to be talking about this more in the future. Uh, I guess I should mention uh, a couple of apps that have caught my attention. There's been some nice updates and new things coming out. Uh, songs uh, in the US, I think, is going to cause quite a bit of interest. It's kind of a Nokia music equivalent in that it's all about streaming radio on curated playlists, but just implemented slightly differently. And there's now a lot of choice out there uh, 
for those wanting music on their Windows phone device, but one that everybody can get. It's not quite so well polished, but it's available in Nokia Beta Labs, and that's the Nokia Device Hub Beta. The idea of this application is basically it will scan via NFC, via Bluetooth, via Wi-Fi for other devices um, you know, that can connect to your phone in some way, and that might be a PC, uh, TV, headset, or other accessory, and then provide applications that can link with or do something with that remote uh, device and so for example with a headset it will obviously talk about the music applications for a set-top box or a tv it will link to upmp applications or something like nokia's photo beam application i think this is going to become more important as people get used to the idea of using their smartphone to control other things and actually you can see the uh, bluetooth uh, smart accessories that we're talking about coming into this as well if you've got something you know that has this capability you may not necessarily know about it uh, when it's with your smartphone and you need some way of getting that app in getting that experience and making it easier for people to use and understand because i think anyone who's used bluetooth accessories you know nfc came in which made the pairing easy but it's still not as easy as it should be particularly when we're now talking about more complicated things as, as say integrating with smart tvs or any other kind of accessory or hardware. Um, it's early days for this Nokia Device Hub beta app, Well, I can see it as a potential way to kind of ease that burden on the user, and that's the way, you know, we, we've said quite a lot of time, it's not really about the technology and the enablers very often. They're there or arriving soon, but the user experience, actually getting ordinary people comfortable using it, making it easy, isn't quite there yet, and that's what I think affects smartphones more generally. So that's why that particular app caught my attention but there have been as say other updates the one i also wanted to talk about was not an update but the fact it won't be being updated and this is microsoft announcing the fact that there will be no more updates for the skype app for windows phone 7.x devices so that's things like the lumia 800 710 and a lot of the early htc devices it was more the interest here that Microsoft is effectively saying yes that platform is now obsolete you developers you don't need to worry about updating for it Actually, in terms of the active install base, it's representing around 35% of devices, so it's still a pretty significant chunk. I think one of the reasons Skype has done this is because some of the APIs in order to kind of implement some of the functionality just aren't there, and video messaging is a, an example, but also the background calling and support. Uh, Skype on Windows Phone 7 is kind of a pale imitation of the same app on Windows Phone 8. Nonetheless, it did kind of catch my attention, so I thought I'd include it in our app roundup. Oh, bless all. Thank you very much there. As always, links to the important applications that we've mentioned here uh, can be found back at our website. You do not need to type www.allaboutwindowsphone.com. And, of course, Steve is still maintaining the fort uh, on other obsolete platforms over on allaboutsymbian.com. <laughs> um, how's Allabot Palm doing, Rafe? Is, is that just gone? <laughs> I think the uh, domain name is still registered somewhere, um, and it's got a few files on it. But uh, other than that, yes, uh, Something tells me that's not coming back anytime soon. Indeed, yes, because um, we sure know how to pick them, don't we? Uh, I'm Ewan Spence. Thank you all very much for listening. Comments are all welcome. Don't forget uh, our comedy conspiracy competition in the comments. Uh, your three C's are very much notable, and I will find a prize of indeterminate value for the one that makes us laugh the most. We'll be back here uh, in the next week or so. Uh, only means me to say thank you to Rafe Blanford. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Steve Litchfield. Thank you. I just wanted to apologise if there have been any under, uh, disturbances through the podcast. It was me killing an insect that had invaded my office, Ewan rattling his scion jar, and Rafe getting an invite to travel the world. Goodbye for now. <laughs>